You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. I'm Casey. And I'm Olivia. And we do the Jackson Cloud throughout the week. And we thought today we would do it in person. Switch things up a little bit. Have a little bit of fun. So we're at a point in Isaiah where we come across a fun little creature named Leviathan. So we're going to talk about that today because this is an interesting kind of conversation in the Bible, uh, but as we get into this, uh, one of the things that a lot of scholars will call these monsters in the Bible, these dragon-like, sea serpent-like, land-like, all different kinds of creatures, is they'll call it chaos creatures. And we've talked on the cloud before about chaos and order. So if you've either watched the cloud or you just know these things or whatever, if you'd like to join the conversation as we're going along, Feel free to kind of feed into it. We haven't rehearsed this, just like all our Jackson Cloud episodes go, which unfortunately, if we mess this up, I can't go say, I'm just going to start over and hit the record button. <laughs> so no editing this time. Yeah, so uh, we'll just kind of see how it works out. Uh, but Isaiah 27 is where we would find ourselves today. And it's a rather short verse that we're looking at, really just one verse. In that day, the Lord with his hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. We got a picture up here. Gustav Dor is one of my favorite uh, artists. There's a bunch of interesting Bible pictures, and he seems to apparently like monsters, because here you have God, the, the man in the sky, holding out a sword to fight a water dragon. Who told you the Bible's boring? Come on right here. We got, we got a dragon fight. Come on. You're into it. You like it. All right. So we have these kind of depictions in the Bible. So let's start with order and chaos. What do you guys remember about these themes? Or any of you? Or you didn't rehash it, so you don't remember? Well, chaos usually tends to mean water, I believe, in the Bible. Yeah. Yep. And were you feeding into that? No, I'm still... um, (laughs) I'm still waiting for the, the part where I can talk about the great sword, because that sounds exciting. Of course. You, so this is the same Casey who, in Revelation, when we did our Bible study, there's a part where, where Jesus says, I will offer to you the bright morning star. Most of us are thinking bright morning. Okay, so like the heavens. And Casey over here is thinking morning star, like the medieval <laughs> weapon of sorts. He's like, Jesus is going to give me a, a ball and chain with spikes on it. No, man. That's cool. I'm, I'm into it. <laughs> so, of course, you'd be going for the sword. But yeah, as Olivia was saying, chaos in the Bible is often depicted as water. And the reason why would be in the creation story. What is there at the start of the creation story? Does anybody remember? Just water. Not, not water, but just water. Like usually, you know, we're waiting for, and then God came and created the water. But it's not. It's literally just water. <laughs> that's, that's all that's there. The rest of the Bible then depicts God creating order in the midst of this chaos. So everything that follows the water is actually like God's 
good creation that has its point and its reference and why it exists. So what comes after that? We've got land. We do have water creatures, so there's, there's animals that live in the chaos, but we've got land, we've got birds, we've got insects, we've got land animals, we have humanity. All of this falls within order. And then the primordial ocean and just water is the chaos that God brought order out of. So that's actually part of the reason that the Bible cares so much about order. Like, why is Paul in the New Testament always like, you guys, you need to have order in your churches because God's a God of order. Why does he care so much? Well, because he believes that chaos belongs with the primordial stuff. Chaos belongs with Satan. Satan is a part of, of all that. God, on the other hand, thrives on order. That's, that's what he's established and is establishing. So that being said, something like a chaos dragon, chaos creature, this thing that lives in the chaos, these dragons and sea serpents and whatnot, those, those are, those are kind of anti-God. So with Leviathan, um, do you guys know any other verses where this pops up, either up here or out there, or any other sea monsters that you can think of in the Bible? Job, yeah, so Leviathan shows up in Job. There's another chaos creature that shows up in Job. Um, no, I can't remember the name. <laughs> From Final Fantasy? Well, that I wouldn't know at all. <laughs> what did you say? Bahamut. Yeah. Bahamut would be one, but closer, closer. Behemoth. Behemoth, yes, that's the one. Is that in Final Fantasy? Yeah, Bahamut yeah sort of. It's a different pronunciation. Bahamut is Japanese for behemoth, is that... Okay, all right, so fine, you're all right. I'm sorry I don't know my Japanese very well. Uh, yeah, so you've got a land creature, because that one kind of lives in like uh, a land-type area, and then you've got the chaos creature of the deep, this serpent. There's other big uh, chaos creatures in the Bible, though. What else? What else do we have? Jonah's whale. Jonah's whale. I like how he <laughs> did parentheses over that. Big fish, right? That's, that's pretty much what the Bible calls it. But... It's interesting. It's interesting. If you pay really close attention with this big fish of sorts, like, first off, that's a weird thing to call it, right? We're always like, what on earth is going on right there? But when you pay attention, when Jonah's sinking, he starts to describe his life at that point. And the words that he uses are words that overlap with other literature about sea serpents, sea dragons. And you also see Jonah talking about Sheol, the realm of the dead. Like basically Jonah's been cast off a ship into the storm. Jonah himself has become a chaos creature. He's sinking into chaos. He's starting to die. And he starts talking about Sheol and the realm of the dead and how he's about to die when God saves him in that place. Now, sea serpent, Sheol. We now are thinking about Again, Leviathan, that this is a chaos creature in Jonah's chaos life. And part of the reason that we can feed into that more would be with uh, Jesus. Does anybody remember a weird thing Jesus said about Jonah? (laughs) Kathy? Like, yeah. as Jonah was in a whale for three days, so he will be. Yeah. But I, I, 
I haven't read that one in a while, so I'm not getting it very well. <laughs> no, you're getting it. So, so Jesus talks about, like, just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be. Now, if Jesus and everybody around him at the time are thinking of this sea serpent, this creature of the deep, of chaos, of, of Sheol, of the underworld, then that's exactly what Jesus is penning, right? Just as Jonah was thrown into Sheol for three days in the belly of, of chaos itself, Jesus is like, so will I be thrown into Sheol for three days into chaos itself. And I do have a question. I know you can't see my... my I know, I'm trying to read like your emotions. My emotions as without my... Wow. We, need a, we need a sign. you got to raise your eyebrows four times. Uh, that'd be weird. Anyway, <laughs> the, uh, the question I have is, I know in this passage it says, Leviathan the fleeing serpent, Leviathan the twisting serpent, and the dragon that is in the sea. Mm. Now is that one animal or creature, or is that three? So whenever we're dealing with prophecy, we're usually dealing with poetic mm -hmm. license, right? So in some sense he's saying, Leviathan the fleeing serpent, the twisting serpent, uh, he will slay that dragon that is in the sea. So, so it is one, it's not it is three. One. Okay. But that, that is a good question. There are other uh, creature dragon-like sea serpents that show up in, in the Bible. Uh, Rahab, Tiamat, it's not just a thing from D&D. &D. It was ancient Mesopotamian literature. <laughs> These things were sea creatures that also show up in the Bible. And they, while the Bible gives them different names, they're literally like basically the same thing. Rahab actually often becomes a mascot for Egypt. Because who was Egypt in Israel's life? It was a chaos creature, right? Egypt brought them into chaos. They wreaked chaos upon them. So Egypt carries the mascot. But you know what's beautiful in the Bible is at one point God says, hey, just so you know, I've got other people out there beyond Israel. I've got, I've got people in Rahab herself. Which should, like, really throw you off. You know, we talk about the love of God <laughs> a lot. And here you have God himself through Isaiah saying, just so you know, there's people in the belly of the dragon in Egypt herself. Those people who afflicted you, abused you, cursed you, forced your children into abortion, killed you, were hard slave masters. Even in Rahab herself, I've got peeps over there. You know, like, and... The end of the Bible is God bringing people in from everywhere, not just out of, of Israel, but out of the beasts themselves, uh, which also get recast in Revelation, right? We've got a beast. We've got a dragon. We've got Satan the dragon. Then we've got the first beast, which comes out of the water, so Leviathan. And then you've got the second beast that comes out of the land, so behemoth. Between the three of these, not only has the chaotic ocean rose up against God, up against Christians, up against Jesus, under the weight of Satan the dragon, but also behemoth has raised up against it. So the end of Revelation is purely like when all chaos, when all hell breaks loose upon the earth, and I mean that literally, not just cursing for fun, like <laughs> all of it just flooding the earth. That's when you see God come and show you just how great He is. Uh, yeah, Lee. Does um, somehow does it connect that um, 
Christ said when he destroyed the water, or he destroyed the water, destroyed earth by water, that the next time, the last time he destroys it, will be with fire. Yeah, so um, there are different passages in the Bible that get used as like many versions of the end times, right? So the flood, the Bible loves to talk about the flood as an example of what will come one day. The same is true with Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible loves to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah as an example of what will come one day. And so, uh, yeah, when Jesus is talking about a flood, you've got kind of these chaotic images coming in your mind, right? All chaos comes upon the earth. Um, but then God rids it once and for all. He doesn't just subdue the ocean back where it belongs, beneath the flood, beneath the land. He completely wipes it out, burns it away. That's how Revelation ends, right? The Bible says there was no more sea anymore. Why? Sea was a part of the chaotic life that was there before God even showed up. So the end of Revelation is like, okay, only order now. Only God's order. No more chaos. No more crying. No more difficulty. No more sin. No more problems. Satan, the sea serpent, Leviathan, the dragon, all of it. Behemoth, wipe it all out. The earth is just land and therefore just order at this point. So we're starting to follow these themes of chaos and order. I'm going to pause for a minute. If you guys thought of something to say? No. <laughs> Olivia uh, likes to, she told me she's a theater girl. So I was like, oh, she'll be ready to talk all night then. I actually know what your face is doing underneath that mask. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kathy, were you about to say something? So the Bible likens. My, my version, yeah, likens the flood to baptism. I just mm-hmm. thought that. So like. Yeah. So the flood is um, is wiping away sin, right? Yeah. And there's all this sin in the world, and then Noah's ark comes along with this flood, and all sin is generally wiped off the planet to start over. So the Bible in the New Testament likens baptism to to we are submerged into the death that like something like the flood brings and then we're pulled out into resurrection life so yeah it does go a bit of that route as well i guess my question then becomes if if water is associated with chaos Hmm. then i mean in modern day today we associate it more with like purity Mm-hmm. Like having pure water or having it, you know, be a cleansing element. So if it's associated with chaos, how can it then also be like a, a purity element too? Yeah, well, there's lots of symbols in our life that are double-minded, even triple-minded, right? So like fire, for example. Fire can kill you. Fire bad. Fire hot. Fire indeed hot. What is that from? I don't Probably Spongebob. Okay. Um, <laughs> Most likely. <laughs> uh, you've got fire that's hot, can kill you bad. Fire of hell, right? But you also have the redeeming fire that burns out the impurities. You also have fire that keeps you warm. So in the same way, water is chaos. Primarily, we're thinking like the ocean. Right. Remember, they don't know they're on a planet. They don't know they're on a sphere spinning throughout space around the sun. They have no idea about all that. What they do know is eventually the land ends, 
and then it's just water. And if you just keep going, man, who knows what out We still say the same thing today. Who knows what's out there? Maybe Pacific Rim isn't just a movie. Maybe there's a bunch of robots hiding out underneath. <laughs> I don't think it's robots. It's Godzilla. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. So, well, Godzilla would be like a Japanese take on the water chaos motif, right? Mm -hmm. It comes out of the ocean. It burns down all your buildings and goes and walks away. Hold on, I think we need a after fighting a giant moth or something of the sort. Yeah. So you you have you have our own stories. What we we still idealize dragons in the same way, right? Mm -hmm. Except for maybe Puff the Magic Dragon. He was a he was a good friend. Barney was all right, but like Pete's dragon too. Pete's dragon, sure. <laughs> but yeah, he's right. Ooh, this guy. <laughs> Keeping me straight. Appreciate that, Zane. Thank you. Barney was a dinosaur. Were dragons dinosaurs? We have to talk about it. <laughs> I'm just trying to be right still. Um, okay, so yeah, Barney was a dinosaur. Um, from our imagination, nonetheless. Are, are you saying Pete wasn't imaginary? <laughs> Depends on how much puffing was going on with the dragon before that. Uh, now we are off topic. <laughs> Other dragons, right? We think of them as chaos. So Smaug from The Hobbit, uh, he thrives on chaos. Where's all your money? It's all my greed. I'm going to take it all. I'm going to kick all you dwarves out of your little... Mine. Mine, thank you. I can't say cave. Tyler yells at me for that. Kick you all out of your mine, and, and then when you come to try to take my treasure, I'm going to burn your whole town down. Like, that's, that's chaos. That's, that's the way that dragons are typically depicted outside of children's literature. So when we look at those kinds of stories, we see that the Bible itself plays on those motifs because ancient cultures had the same stories. In fact, that's, that's part of what's fun about the Bible is it looks at... Did you, Leviathan is actually not a Hebrew creature. It's from other ancient religions of the time. Leviathan was something to be afraid of. Job said that even the little g gods are afraid of this thing. So it'd be like the Kraken of Greek literature, right? Even the little g gods of Greek literature are afraid of this Kraken thing. When it rises up, they're like, ah, what do we do? So the same is true in Hebrew literature um, and Mesopotamian literature. When Leviathan rises up, the little g-gods are freaking out. They're afraid of this thing. And then Job just completely like makes fun of their little dragon god. They're like, essentially, hey, y'all know that uh, Yahweh, the one true god, has uh, that Leviathan thing that the little g-gods are afraid of? He's got it on a leash. His little puppy dog, you know that, right? <laughs> like he's he's insulting he's insulting their gods, telling telling them Yahweh is the one true God and he's so much better than your God. Uh, he's got your gods on a leash. It's like his pet, uh, and he, he can't do anything outside of what he calls it to do. Uh, like with Jonah, God sends chaos upon Jonah. It's partially. Uh, a consequence for how Jonah has lived. Like we look at the fish as like a, you know, like, oh, what a blessing. You got to take the fish bus back to town. But it's like, no, actually Jonah wrote a sheol itself, chaos itself, 
for punishment for how he was living, and he took the chaos bus back to town and then continues to live in more chaos after that because Jonah really wasn't the greatest of the prophets. But that's a whole other story. Okay, talk for a little bit. Um, There's another question out there. Another question? Lee? Um, what about the depiction in the Bible of um, Satan and what he's... Aren't the signs that Revelation speaks of already here? So the signs... Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm done. Yeah, the signs of Revelation have been here since Revelation was written. So people always look at the end times as something that are to come. The end times ended, started when Jesus went to heaven. It was the final age is almost here because Jesus was the last thing that needed to happen. All that we're waiting for is for him to come back. <laughs> so the end times have been going on for 2,000 years. That's not something that's coming um, and so those signs, lots of those signs happened a long time ago. Jesus said the temple would be destroyed. Guess when that happened ago? The temple. Uh, the last temple was, or the last time it was destroyed, because it was destroyed more than that. Yeah. was about 70 or 80 years. Exactly. Later. The temple that Jesus said would be destroyed as a sign of the end was destroyed 1,930 years ago. <laughs> so, like, when we're always like, oh, the mark of the beast, it's on its way. It's like, no, actually, the mark of the beast in their time was if you didn't have the proper papers, you couldn't sell inside of, of the market. If you can't sell in the market, you can't make money. If you can't make money, you're going to die. So you either worship their gods so that you can get the right papers, or you be a Christian, and then you can't get the papers to sell food, and now you're on the outskirts of society because the rest of these people have taken the mark of the beast. They're willing to worship Satan and the false gods to sell in the market, whereas the Christians would not take the mark of the beast and therefore be doomed to die because they couldn't make money. So, like, that's already happened. It's also a cycle. It continues to happen. But like the real mark of the beast was a long time ago. That's one example of what it could be. Some would say that there's other things, but John, the people John was talking to knew what he meant when he said, don't take the mark. Wasn't it, it wasn't an actual mark, was it? I mean, in that case, it would have been just papers. Like that's the mark, you know? Like, again, Revelation pursues poetry and symbolism mark does not need to be like an actual mark it would just be a defining factor upon your life it's also not something that you do in uh by accident you don't take the mark of the beast by accident <laughs> you would intentionally have violated your covenant with god um that takes an, another direction I'll, I'll end at least on one last theme unless anybody else feeds this conversation up here or down there chaos comp C-H-A-O-S-K-A-M-P-F. It's a German... What? Bless me. It's a German word. Gesundheit. Uh, that, that means basically like... Well, I'll define it for you. Chaoskampf, this theological word for like what happens in the Bible, is in ancient literature, sometimes you would kill a chaotic creature, a dragon or a sea serpent or the ocean itself embodied as like a being. And then after you had destroyed it, you would use the, the chaos creature's body to create the world. 
So like Baal in their religion, Baal destroys uh, Tiamat, uh, the, the water creature. And then Baal leaves, guts it like a fish right down the middle, leaves the bottom half of, of this chaos creature on the ground and stretches the other part into the sky, creating water in the sky. And that's why it rains, right? That's what they do in Mesopotamian literature. Now, our Bible had the same concept, that God had water on the earth, right, in the creation narrative, and then God pulled the water up and created this other, like, snow globe ceiling, just like you have with Baal doing this thing. But the Bible tells it in a different way. Like, they're, they're imagining the same kind of thing. Yeah, God destroys the chaos creature and stretches it out. There's other stories where these... Um, water dragons, water serpents type creatures are mentioned. And in the same breath of talking about God destroying these creatures, it talks about God creating the heavens, <laughs> which I think is our Bible's way of saying like, mm, you think that your God's actually created the world. You think your God's actually destroyed chaos and made the world out of it. We're telling you now, Yahweh is the one true God and he destroyed chaos and he created the world. So like, this is what your Bible does. It's a polemical, like it, it looks at the world around it and it interjects God into its midst. We do that as pastors with movies all the time, right? How many churches today are quoting WandaVision? <laughs> how, how many churches today have said, what is love but, or what is grief but love persevering? Probably like 50%. <laughs> Because they're all out there just thinking, ah, this is a good narrative of, of, of Jesus. Like, in our grief of losing him, love perseveres. So we do that. We take narratives in the world, and then we put God into it. Uh, that's what the Bible does sometimes, too. It looks at the world and then tries to put it in its place, subjected to, to the one true God. Lee? Well, I mean, it's like the depiction in the Bible of all the... Having to reach onto Job, and then Job's own wife told him to turn his face away from Christ, and he refused. Yeah, and Job is like, <laughs> Job is given over to just pure chaos, right? It's no wonder Job mentions Behemoth and Leviathan and all that. His life is pure chaos, and the beauty of the Book of Job is. <laughs> We all ask the question, God, why is this happening to me? What's the answer? And Job does the same thing. It's like, you ever wanted a whole book of the Bible that asks the question, why has this happened to me? What's the answer? Job is that answer. And the answer is, you know, I don't really know. <laughs> Thanks, Job, 40 chapters to get to the pitch of the point. Just like, life is hard sometimes. <laughs> like, we don't know all the things and, and why it happens. But... Job is not belittled for what he's gone through. He's blessed for persevering. Even in the midst of his grief, love perseveres. WandaVision. Uh, and you, you, see, you see the beauty of, of Job holding out. And you see God understanding his pain too. Uh, God who, who doesn't want these things to happen, uh, but calls us to be faithful to him regardless. Okay, well, I've talked a little bit in all different kinds of directions and circles. I'm going to give Olivia one more chance to... All right, then I'll put the words in her mouth. Olivia will ask the question we always try to ask on Jackson Cloud. Okay, we've asked that in like two episodes. We've always done this. Go ahead. 
What is the takeaway from today's message? And so what we have learned applies to VeggieTales. All right. I like to uh, Y'all need to watch more VeggieTales. <laughs> Preferably the older version back when Rob, Rob Vischer? No. No. Phil Vischer was running it. Thank you. Uh, anyways. Yeah. So our application today. We are in the belly of the beast <laughs> for like a year. I mean, right? The world has in many ways been turned over to chaos. I was just writing an opening to a new book before I came here. And the things that I recounted in that opening of things that have happened in the last year, it's just like, it's like we've been thrown into the belly of the beast. Like we've been facing the chaos of Satan, of Sheol, of life turned over, of Job, right? Turned over to the difficulty of this world. And will we remain faithful and persevere nonetheless? Like these are all the questions that are on the table. We are living in the midst of the chaos creature motif. Life is not easy. Life is hard. And you have a God who Isaiah says, one day we'll deal with this. He will take out his sword, look at his puppy on a leash that is nothing to him, does not scare him at all, even though all the little g-gods are freaked out about this thing, and he will stab it and cut its head off. I think there's other Jewish literature that then talks about all God's people gathering around and eating it, but that's not in the Bible. (laughs) Instead, Revelation talks about the birds coming and eating it, so I guess Revelation didn't depict us eating chaos. But you get it. We eat chaos for lunch as Christians. (laughs) Life might be hard, and we might be asking the question, God, where are you? What do we do when just all chaos has unleashed on us? The Bible has an answer. God sees your pain. God will deal with it. You might find some of that dealing with it now, especially when Christians break through on behalf of the kingdom of heaven. Just as we want to put Jackson or put heaven here in Jackson, when we do that, we bring heaven closer. But even when we don't find the answers that we're looking for today, we remain assured by people like Isaiah and the many other times that these chaos creatures appear throughout the Bible, God will deal with chaos. It's a normal question to say, God, where are you and when are you going to stop? The martyrs do that in Revelation. They died on earth, they're taken up into heaven, and they're chilling there and they look at God, they're like, when are you going to do something? When will you avenge us? And God says, not yet. Uh, be patient. The time will come. And that's what the end of our story is, is that God deals with all chaos once and for all. At that point, life will be perfect, every tear wiped away, and we will find what we've always been hoping for and looking for. So if life for you sucks right now, good news is it won't always suck. (laughs) And the good news is that it doesn't have to suck right now, and God will break through even in this life. So stay faithful, stay true and hand all of your dragons over to to Jesus to slay. Good question. With this really big sword. We came full circle. The only thing Casey wanted to talk about the whole time, the sword. All right. Okay. I talked about water, too. And water. And water. All right. Well, with that, thanks for letting us try something a little different today. Let me pray for you, and we'll let you go. God, we all have chaos in our lives. Um pastors included. We are all assaulted by Satan just because we are Christians. 
we have a target on our back. And we need your healing touch to bring us out of all that pain, all that difficulty, but also to keep us faithful in the midst of all that pain and all that difficulty. So we give our lives over to you. Whatever chaos anyone's going through tonight, I pray that you just strengthen them to stay faithful, but also that you would give them a glimpse of hope. You give them a glimpse that you do care, that you are watching, and that you haven't missed a thing. In Jesus' name, amen.